Good morning, church family. Good morning. morning. Oh, there's some good ones. <clears throat> You'll have to excuse. Seems like allergies are kind of hitting everybody, and I found out this morning it's ragweed, so just bear with the coughs and sniffles and throats and all the things, and we'll uh, we'll look at the, the Lord's Word together, and for the last time, kind of makes my heart happy and sad at the same time. Grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians for the last time, at least for now. But turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read the last four verses of chapter 6 of the whole book of Ephesians. Um, and we're going to wrap it up together today. So to the title of today's message is a Christ-centered farewell. So if you would stand with me with that title in mind, we're going to read through the text we're going to stand in honor of the one who gave us this word. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 21, it reads, But that you also may know about all my affairs, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so thank you for this week that we've had as we get to joy, joyously welcome a new life. Uh, that's part of this body into the world. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace there. Uh, we thank you for all the, the beautiful faces of this body gathered here in worship of you, a focus on you. Um, your mercies and grace have been evident this week, and we praise you for that. We pray also, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on you as we look to this text. Help us to see the things that we can learn. Um, help us to understand, uh, even in how a leader says goodbye to a group, is, is impactful and can point to Christ. I pray that you would remove any hindrances from me. Uh, you would help me to speak your word clearly, accurately, uh, and to your glory alone. We love you and praise you in your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so today's sermon is going to feel a little bit different. Um, we're going to look first at the Christ-centered farewell of Paul here at the end of Ephesians. Um, and then, after we're done addressing these three verses, we're going to take a high-level overview. With the, we're going to review the highlights of Ephesians, which means we're going to start in verse 1 and read the whole book. No, I'm just kidding. But there are that many good things in the book of Ephesians. So uh, I would highly encourage you to refresh your memory this afternoon if you have time resting in the Lord. It's going to be a beautiful sunny day. Get out and read the whole book again. Um, it really is that encouraging. But we are going to look at six different places that I find especially, um, that especially stand out in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to review some of those highlights of Ephesians, lest we forget, right? It's been a long time. This is sermon number 30 which is kind of crazy to me. This is the, just so you guys know, this is a milestone for me, the first book I preached from beginning to end. So um, that's a milestone for me. So um, I appreciate you guys bearing with me on this. Um, and so we'll, we'll take a look at these three verses or four verses, and then we'll look at some highlights from Ephesians, okay? Um, now this particular text here um, has, has brought our letter to a close or brings our letter to a close. Um, and Paul, uh, after writing all of this, there's extra things that, he would want the church to know. Uh, there's extra things that he would want to relay to them for them to know personally, things that he just wouldn't write down in a letter. Um, and so it's very, very common, just as a way of introducing what this, the thought behind this benediction is, um, is 
to send someone that knew him well, someone he could trust. Communication in the first century was extremely, extremely difficult if he didn't live in the same town. Even then it was difficult. But to, to, to have communication that first century, you had to have a messenger that you trusted, number one, to not either read or destroy whatever you're sending to someone else. Then whenever they would get there, um, you would have to trust that the person, um, if, you, if they were taking the letter, they would often read it to whoever the recipient was. And then you have to make sure that they're not going to twist what you said because there's a lot of um, uh, inability to read. I couldn't think of the word there. Uh, people couldn't read at that time, okay? Um, and so th there was a lot that went into to traveling and, uh, with messages and sending messages and communicating with people. And so it was wildly important that Paul sent this information with someone that he could trust. Um, and so we know Tychicus came from Asia. He's been traveling with with Paul for quite some time. You'll see him introduced in Acts chapter 20. He, he's known by the Ephesians. So this, this letter was carried by someone that Paul knew he could trust to deliver the information. Um, so this benediction introducing him is so that the church would have uh, confidence in who it was that was bringing this. Um, the word benediction, um, if you guys have ever heard that word before, I know we, we have a benediction every week. It's a very simple breakdown. It means good saying. So Paul is leaving. It's very customary to leave letters to to let people go with a good saying. You know, we would say take take care or good luck or that's kind of the idea of a good of a benediction in our day and time. And really, this benediction, it's been said that we see a leader that does three things while pointing to Christ: praise others, be transparent, and encourage in Christ. So we're going to look at Paul doing these three things and the benediction of this letter to the Ephesians. So number one, he starts with a brotherly concern. So in verses 21 and 22, he's going to begin with a brotherly concern. Let me reread those two verses to you. But that you also may know about all my affairs, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts so if you recall from last week, what we have just left off is, if you recall through, through chapter 6, he addresses the armor of God right after the spiritual battle. He comes to the end of the armor of God and says, we must pray for one another. And then he says, please specifically pray for me. Remember the humility that Paul had last week that we discussed, uh, the, the need for prayer for him. And coming off of this, now he's saying, I want you guys to know about me. So this idea of brotherly concern, he's now... Um, doing more than just asking for prayer, he's going to communicate what's going on in his own life. And he has to do it, as I mentioned before, with someone he can trust. So a beloved brother. So he, he both trusts Tychicus, but then also encourages him in letting the church know that he does faithfully serve the Lord. So we begin first with Paul's brotherly concern that he wants the church at Ephesus, his love for the church that he planted there to be known, their hearts and minds to be put at ease, for them to be encouraged. So there's this idea of brotherly concern for the body. This idea that the church, knowing about him, him knowing about the church, because Tychicus would bring a report back to Paul, depending on the situation. And so this, this is how this communication was done. So you can see his desire to make sure this church knew about him so that their hearts would be encouraged. So think about that for just a second. All this, all this doctrine that we have talked about 
um, all the, the ways to live the Christian life that we've talked about in Ephesians, and Paul comes down and still wants to encourage their hearts. He doesn't want them to be down and sad. What does that tell us? That it's very, very hard to, to grisp, grap, gra, uh, grasp, excuse me, goodness gracious, to grasp doctrine when our hearts are concerned for one another. Think about that for just a second. If, if our hearts aren't calm, are we going to pay attention to what's being said? If we aren't in peace about someone, if we're worried about someone, if our, our hearts are tumultuous, and I don't know about Paul, I mean, it's great, I, I understand what he's saying in this letter, but I don't know about him. Have you guys heard from him? Is he dead yet? Because it took weeks to get these letters. They, they could have been, and so Paul, having this specific plan to send Tychicus, is very, very important and should set an example for us. It should set an example for us. Do we have enough concern about our brothers and sisters in the body to go ask them, hey, how's things going? Is there something I can help you with? How can I encourage your heart today? It's something to think about because if Paul set that example, should we ought not also to follow it? And Tychicus is the perfect person to do this. He accompanied Paul in his entire third missionary journey. Um, he knew Ephesians, uh, the, the Ephesians very, very well. He would have known other groups at Colossae, Philemon, La, uh, Laodicea. In fact, um, from a historical perspective, it said that Tychicus took the letter to Colossians with him, the letter to Philemon with him, and then a separate letter that we don't have in the canon to Laodicea. So this is not Tychicus, Tychicus's first rodeo. This isn't his first rodeo. He has experience in encouraging people. And in fact, the way that he would arrive in the city to do this, it's very interesting, the way that the, the messengers would do this, they would arrive at the city, gather the church together, similarly to what we have here, and he would read the letter and then exposit and add on things that he had learned from Paul by being his friend and fellow servant. Tychicus was literally the first person to preach through the book of Ephesians. He would have shown up, had everybody gather and sit around, and he would have went through it. Now, they likely did the whole letter in one day. They wouldn't have wanted to stop. They would have stayed together and worshipped and, and fellowshiped and rested in God and done the whole letter in one day. But then they would have had conversation and they would have asked questions. What's, what about Paul doing this? What about Paul doing that? How is he? And so you have this idea of, of this messenger being sent by Paul to calm the hearts of his friends, his beloved brothers in Ephesus, to give them the update. But not only did Paul encourage the Ephesians, look at the words that he uses to describe Tychicus. In verse 21, it says, The beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord. The beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Now we... Often, um, as rightly so, God deserves glory for everything. I think sometimes in an effort to ensure that God gets glory for everything, we can over-swing the pendulum and forget to encourage the individual themselves. Right? How often do we do that? Oh, glory to God. I'm so glad that you cleaned the toilet. Right? Glory to God. Glory to God. And we should. Okay, understand, we should glorify God for that. But we have to encourage the individual as well, similarly to what Paul did. Do you think Paul doesn't give glory to God? After reading Ephesians, do you think Paul doesn't give glory? Of course he does. We've read Ephesians together now. We've, we've preached the entire thing. But when we think about it, Paul encouraged him in the Lord. He's a faithful servant. He encouraged him. He, he, he pra praised him. From a physical standpoint, from a human to human, he said, basically, boy." 
good job. Give him a pat on the back and said, you are a faithful servant in the Lord. I know, I know what you're doing is to the glory of God, but you're doing well at it. Continue. Keep it up. Good job. When was the last time that we encouraged someone else in the body like that? When was the last time we encouraged someone in their faithfulness to the Lord as a servant of the Lord? When was the last time we encouraged anything for, from those who, who volunteer, our deacons, those who, who pray, play the music, those who may have cooked a meal or sent a text or wrote, read a letter or, or something along those lines? There are multiple ways to encourage the body, but this example is imperative that we understand. Paul is, is absolutely has no problem encouraging from a human-to-human perspective the good work of a fellow laborer in Christ. And I think we should take that example. And the last observation to take here, the last thing that he says here in verse 22, that he may encourage your hearts. You can see the love that this man had for his people. You can see the love that Paul has. It's just that simple. It is clear that they loved him and he loved them. The, the, the love of, of the church body is evident in his concern for their well-being, the encouragement of their hearts. Yes, he wanted them to be sharing the gospel in Ephesus. Yes, he just spent three chapters encouraging them to put aside idols and be a new man. Yes, he just spent all this time telling them how to live as followers of Christ. And then he, he comes here to the end and says, but I just want to encourage your hearts because I love you. Can you, can you feel the love? Can you hear the love behind that? behind the words he's choosing to use. And I would ask, do we show the same love for one another? Do we show the same encouragement like we just talked about? Because really, we have to view our church family as actual family. I know that goes completely contradictory to what we have in our culture today. We have radical individualism, pull myself up by my bootstraps kind of mentality. I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. In fact, People take it as a point of pride to not need their blood family, right? I, I've built myself, look at this empire I've built, I brought myself up. Remember, that's not what the, the church is founded on. The church is founded as a family in unity, the body of Christ being one, leaning on one another, being the parts of the body that, that feed and sustain and work with one another, all to the glory of God. We are a family and we should view it as such. So what that looks like practically, what that looks like as a, as a point of application is check in with one another. Ensure that, that you know what's going on in each other's lives. Have dinner with one another. That shouldn't be anything that, that a leader has to facilitate. I, I would love for, for everyone in this body to grow and be a unit, united family in God. Be proactive in your communication. Give encouragement and praise. If you see someone do something for the glory of God, not that they're making a big boast about it or taking selfies and putting it all over Facebook. Okay, we know those, those kinds of situations. I'm not saying that. But when you see someone that does something for the glory of God, encourage them for it. Did you know that because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, okay, think about this for a second. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God can use you, does use you as a means to encourage someone else to sustain them as he promises he will do, right? God promises to sustain every believer, does he not? You being filled with the Spirit, united with Christ, God uses you to be the means by which, the hands and feet by which you then encourage and literally fulfill the promise of God to sustain his very people. 
That's a pretty impressive thing when you think about it for a minute, that God uses you to encourage. So show that brotherly and sisterly concern for the church. Number two, faith and love in verse 23. Number two, faith and love. Verse 22, or excuse me, 23 reads, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he is wishing the believers peace. In fact, Paul is, you're going to see grace in the next verse, Paul is regularly using peace, grace, faith, love. These are, these are his favorite words. And now he says to the believers themselves that he wishes them peace. Now what, what does he mean by that? Doesn't, doesn't every believer have peace with God? Yes, that is the only way that someone has peace in this world is peace with God. But do you think that hearing someone wish you peace Someone who's a brother and sister, someone part of your family has an extra amount of comfort to it? Do you, do you, it goes back to the example I just used. When believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit follow what God tells them to do, which is love, sacrifice, encourage one another, you are then the very means by which God is bringing peace to someone's life. Do, do you follow the, the, the perception there, the, the, the trail of logic there? So Paul is wishing them peace. And brothers and sisters, let's think about the gospel for just a minute because that is the only true place that we find peace. So in an effort to exemplify what Paul is doing, I want to remind you that if you are sitting here as a believer, that you have peace with a holy God. That there was a time you did not. That there was a time that, that you were an enemy under the wrath of a holy God because you spat in his face from your first breath on. And that by his grace, by his mercy, he came and he sacrificed himself to reconcile you to him when you could do nothing about it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And we could do nothing, nothing at all to reconcile ourselves to him. And yet by his grace, he did that. And then by his own power, he raised himself up, seated himself at the right hand of God, and is now sustaining our relationship with that holy God by his mediation. So that he didn't give us a high five and say, now you're justified, enjoy your life. He sustains and maintains our position before a holy God. And then he graces that to his children and justifies them. And so now, believer, you are at peace with a holy God. And when you think in the big picture of the gospel, Things in life don't seem to be as unpeaceful as they used to be. When you know that truly you are a child of God and have been forgiven for every sin that you have ever committed, that is a peace that passes all understanding. And so I want to encourage you with that. And that's similar to what Paul was doing. Peace be to the brothers. And then he goes on and says, love with faith. This is an interesting way of wording this. 
but he wants them to have faith that is backed by love. Think of it that way. I, I recalled another place that Paul uses this similar language in Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6. He says, For we, through the Spirit by faith, are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Faith working through love. There's, there's other instances that Paul writes, and I won't read them all, but if you recall, he, he also talks about faith. Um, you can have all these different things. You can have um, prophecy, all the gifts. You can have um, preaching. You can have speaking in tongues. You can have all these different things in, in yourself, but if you have any of that without love, it's a noisy gong and a clanging symbol. That our faith, without being backed by love, is meaningless. We need to, to remember, Paul here, even, even after all he's written to the Ephesians, he is closing them with a good word saying, don't forget love. You might have the faith, you might have all the things we've talked about, we've looked at the, the, the position that you have in Christ in the first three chapters, we've looked about how Christ sustains you, We've looked at all these things throughout Ephesians, but if you have faith without love, you still need, excuse me, you still need faith with love. But this faith and love come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul has broken this down for us throughout his epistle. I'm going to read you a few of these to, to, uh, to, to just really get your mind that this is not a new idea. Paul isn't suddenly coming to the, the close of the letter and introducing all this new stuff. For example, peace. He talks about peace in chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 17. Chapter 6 and verse 15. Chapter 4 and verse 3. All of Ephesians. He talks about faith in chapter 1 and verse 15. Chapter 3 and verse 17. 6, 11, and 16. All throughout his epistle. Then he talks about love. He begins with the, the love from the Father to the Son that is then extended to us in chapter 1 and verse 6. Then he goes on in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 3, 17 through 19. Chapter 5, verses 2 and verse 25. I could go on and on. Paul continually expresses these ideas throughout his epistle. And now he's summarizing. Not only do we have peace with God, peace be to you. Have love with your faith. And so our application for this next verse is pretty simple. We should be about the business of pointing one another to the peace, faith, and love that we have from Christ and in Christ. That's what we should be about the business of doing. The last thought that Paul wanted them to have was the peace of God, the love of God, the faith of God that he gives us, the faith in God. Because truly, we are all dependent upon God, are we not? Are we not? Do we not? We, we know that, right? We know deep down that we are dependent on God. Deep in our hearts. But how often do we forget it in our actions? How often do we forget it in our relationships? How often do we forget and become unrestful, unpeaceful with the world that's going on around us. 
Anybody look at the news lately? That's a little unsettling. What about faith? When was the last time you thought you, you could maintain the faith that you need to be right with God? Anybody struggle with that? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I read my Bible extra this week so I can bolster my faith a little bit more. When was the last time that, that you remembered that the only reason that you can express true love in this life is because God first loved you? That's the only way we can express true love. We might have the world's idea of love or infatuation, but the only way that we can express true love with one another is in complete dependence on Him in our position in Christ. And so if we are that dependent, if we, if we understand that we have to have these things, as Paul says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, should we not be pointing one another, brothers and sisters, back to where this comes from? We must rest in Christ and point each other back to that. Number three, and then we're going to do a, a quick review. Incorruptible love, verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. If many of you, if you look at your, the version of Bible that you're reading, you might have love in italics. Anybody see that? Love is the in italics in your Bible? Okay. What that means, um, in, in most Bible translations they do this, they put words that have to be added that aren't technically in the Greek, but they have to be added to make sense in English. Okay? So it's not words of God added to the Scriptures, it's just how you translate things. And so if your Bible has the word love there, that's because the word love is technically not in that position of the sentence in the original language. Technically speaking, in the original language, it would read, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruption. Or incorruptibility is the original language. And that carries with it the idea here, because there's, there's a couple different places that that incorruption could point to. Technically, it could point back to grace on the structure of the original language. It could also point to love. General, generally, translators put it as describing, the incorruption describes love. And that's the way I think it should absolutely be translated by looking at the language. But when we, we drop off that word love there, the idea of, of the incorruption that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ kind of hits a little bit differently. Just think about that. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ incorruptibly or incorruption. The, the word in the original language means undying, completely uh, unavailable to have um, corruption. The idea here, when you apply it to love, which again, as it should be translated, the idea here is that we love that the grace of God is on those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is undying, eternal, not faltering. It's a persevering love, the kind that will not rot or decay. It is not the love that we see in the world that's a passing infatuation, um, a romantic kind of a thing. This is the love that comes from only one place, from our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So think about the wording that Paul uses here. Grace be with all those. So grace is on the ones that love Jesus with an incorruptible love. We started our first sermon. We're going to review it here in a minute. Chosen in Him. You guys remember that. Chosen in Him. That we are chosen. That God chooses those whom He will save. And He gives them the gifts and the, the things that they need to bring them to a place that they can even love Him. Paul is now finishing the last sentence in his book, in his epistle, with the same language, the same idea. Grace be with all those who love Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. In other words, we are gifted the very love that we have to then use to love Him. It is by grace that we are given the very incorruptible love with which we love Christ. Can, can, a, can a human being, let me ask you, can a human being conjure up incorruptible love? They can't. It's an it's a impossibility. Not only experientially, but the Scriptures say it. And so, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ incorruptibly. We are in a relationship. We are in Christ. We are justified by grace alone, through Christ alone, to God's glory alone. There is nothing else we bring to the table. Paul started it with that idea. He's ending it with that idea. His entire letter is here to show us that we are utterly dependent on the grace and mercy of a holy God. There are other things here, but the way he culminates this, this letter with those ideas, what do you think he's wanting the church to walk away with? A dependence on God. Understanding our position in Christ because of him. Yes, there's much more that we study in between here. But I want us to not miss the point that Paul opens with God's sovereignty and closes with God's sovereignty. So as we think about that, the application truly is to think about that. That's, that's truly the application. He's wanting to leave them. The last sentence that he gives them is the incorruptible love that you have by grace. That, that, that's the last thought he wants them to walk away with. I can't make that any better than the Apostle Paul. So I don't have any extra special application. Meditate on that. I challenge you to meditate on that today. Think about the incorruptible, gracious love that we have from God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I would like to do now is we're going to, very quickly, we're going to look at six highlights from the book of Ephesians. So we're going to start back in the first chapter, and we're going to look at six places that I think are standout places, places that, that we really you, when you turn to Ephesians, these are often the places that we turn. So I want us to highlight those one more time. If you have the, the handout for the sermon notes, I did put the theme of the book in there again. If you recall, the theme of the book of Ephesians is the glory of God seen in making man new. Let me try that again. The glory of God seen in making man new creatures in Christ. The indicative of what Christ did and the imperative that we follow through His work in us by His Spirit. The key verse of all of Ephesians is Ephesians 2.10. So if you want to have a verse to memorize in Ephesians to remember what it's about, 
Ephesians 2.10 reads, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So the first point I want you to remember we just briefly touched on. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn there. I'd like to read these passages again to have you highlight them in your minds. So we're going to read each one of these small sections again. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We are chosen in Him. So I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, they will be holy and blameless before Him in love. By predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the grace of the glory of His, excuse me, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He graciously bestowed on us in the Beloved. So the things we discussed when we were here the first time is that we are blessed by God, that we are chosen by God, that we are adopted by God to the glory of God. And that, so we are chosen completely in Him for His glory. The next highlight, if you'll turn over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this for me is, is some of my favorite language, possibly one of my favorite overall lengthy passages in all of Scripture. The title of the message that we talked about this particular section back when we did was But God. It ended up being a two-part mini-series, but... I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works so that no one, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That doesn't get you fired up. I don't know how to do that. Because think about this. When we, when we went through these two messages, we started with death and depravity. Because all of us, as we talked about earlier when I shared the gospel, the death and depravity that we found ourselves in was completely hopeless. Completely hopeless. There was nothing we could do about it. And then in verse 4, two of the most impactful words in all of Scripture. But God. But God. We were dead, but God. We had no hope, but God. 
There was nothing we could do for ourselves but God. And he stepped in. And then we talked about in the rest of this passage, his mercy and grace. He raised us and seated us for a purpose. The very gifts that he gives us has a purpose of glorifying him. And that in effect, verse 10, the key verse of all of Ephesians, verse 10 of chapter 2, we were created for that very purpose. The only reason you and I draw breath is for the glory of God. But God. Review number three, another highlight of, of, of Ephesians. Let's flip over to chapter four. Please understand, just because I'm not reading a passage doesn't mean it's not important, okay? I just didn't want to read the entire book to you guys this morning, because I could have done that. <laughs> so Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you guys recall, we read this text, and the title of the message was, One Lord Building His, own, His One Church. One Lord Building His One Church. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore I... The prisoner in the Lord exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all, and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you guys recall, this is what introduced to us the idea that Paul, we kind of knew it before, but Paul very clearly says it, that we are, he is writing this about the Lord building his church. He is writing the letter to the Ephesians to show them how a church body should act because we are, he is one body, or excuse me, we are one body and one spirit, just as there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So if you recall, we talked about at that time that we are to walk worthy. We as a body of believers are to walk worthy of the grace that we have been given. Now, we can't do that within our own powers, can we? We've talked about that over and over and over again in, verse, in uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6. But we are to walk worthy. We are to be united as one body. That's what it says, one body. If you recall from the, the time that we had that particular sermon, I stressed this over and over and over again, and I've attempted to stress this throughout the rest of the book. We are one body, one unit, united in Christ. And all of this once again comes by grace. The next highlight I'd like to give to you is a call to godliness. In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So not only are we to be one body and that Christ builds his church as we saw in the beginning of chapter 4, but here in the beginning of chapter 5 it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no one sexually immoral 
or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the, the sons of disobedience. If you recall from that, that passage when we were there together, we are to be childlike imitators of God. That we are to look to God our Father as the example, and that we as a body are to imitate Him. We are to be His little children. Anyway, many of us have kids in here. Remember when they're small, they just kind of follow you around. Right? Little puppy dogs sometimes we call them. They just follow you around. They want to do everything that you want to do. Being a childlike imitator of our Father in a similar fashion. And that the things that we used to do are no longer to be named among us. Who we were before is not who we are now. Because at that time, the wrath of God was abiding on us. And those who are still separated from God, who are not converted, who are not followers of Christ, who are not His sheep, still have the wrath of God upon them. And as Paul's already pointed out in this book, up to this point in chapter 5, the wrath of God has already been taken by Christ. So if we no longer have the wrath of God abiding on us, how can we then act as if we do? Behave in the manner that we did when the wrath was there. Number five. Highlight number five. Same chapter, just drop down to verse 22 with me. This is, from the practical side of things, um, one of the most important texts for a church body, especially a young church body, because as the family stands, as individual families in the church stands, so stands the church. When a wife and a husband are living as they should and raising their family as they should, the church body is united and strong. They're able to live out the gospel of Christ. When families begin to suffer, the church suffers. So I'm going to read these 10 verses to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. If you recall, that was ended up being a three-part mini-series. And we talked first about the submission of the wives and how they are to submit to their husbands as if to Christ. And that the true way for us, a wife to 
actually to submit to Christ is to submit to their husbands. And we talked about the, the aspect of husbands can abuse that. And so we, so we looked at the aspect of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and that it, it meant more than just being willing to die for her. It meant more than just standing there taking a bullet and saying, oh, if someone broke into my house, sure, I'd give my life for my wife. Do you give your, your, your life for your wife day in and day out, sacrificing for her, loving her, putting her before yourself? And we said that all of this culminated in the example of Christ in the church, and we had an entire series about the bridegroom and his relationship with the bride. And the last highlight I want to bring, we just covered not that long ago, so we won't spend a lot of time here, and then I'll conclude. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, we talked about the complete armor and that Christ provided everything in himself that we need to live in this world. Ephesians 6, 13 to 17, it reads, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, standing firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And the reason why I chose this one to highlight, even though we just went over it recently, is that our world is an increasingly dark and sinful place. And Paul knew this. The, the Ephesian church lived in a place that we honestly can't comprehend. As bad as things are now, we are not Ephesus. It was real bad. And so Paul knew what they were facing. He knew what these people that he loved, we, we talked about in the benediction, how we could sense the love that he had for them. These people that he loved needed to know where to look to survive. And so he broke it down for them in a way they could completely understand. There was no one that didn't know the Roman soldier's armor. And he said, Christ gives you all of this. If you guys remember, he says that we are able to resist because Christ is our truth. And Christ is our righteousness. And Christ is our peace. And Christ is our shield. And Christ is our salvation. And lastly, Christ is our offense. And I don't have time to develop all those. You guys thought I was going to preach all six of those, didn't you? See? Highlights. But I would encourage you to go back. If, if they triggered thoughts and they triggered things that we discussed on those days, or, or maybe you forgot where each one of those points actually falls, please go back and read the text. Pray. The Spirit is very gracious in bringing things to memory when we need them. But go back and meditate on those things. Because when we saw in our, our main text for today, the benediction of, of Ephesians, we saw the peace, love, and grace are the themes that we are to be living by. This is the good word. This is what Paul wanted them to walk away with. Peace, love, and grace. If you had to sum up Paul's ministry, it's peace, love, and grace found in Christ. He uses those words over and over and over again in his writings. In fact, they are so ingrained in him because of his Jewish culture. Do you know that the, the, the common greeting for Jews, both then and now, the word shalom, anybody ever heard that word before? It simply means peace. 
and they say it to each other constantly. In, in greetings, in salutations, in goodbyes, shalom is the common phrase. It was ingrained in Paul to understand the peace. And he brings this whole letter together with the peace, love, grace, all from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just I want to leave you with this last thought. The reason that I chose to go through the book of Ephesians first is because of a young body that is extremely, extremely important for a young church body to know who they are in Christ to survive. Guys, remember, we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a dark place. The enemy is against those who stand for Christ. And so we as a young body, we needed to understand who we are in Christ and what we are called to be as a body. And we've, we've looked at all that now. I'm not saying we're experts at it, but I think we have a pretty good, firm foundation for jumping a jumping off point, if you will, for we as a body. To know who we are in Christ and to look to know how we are to exhibit that love that we have. And so, in a couple of weeks, so just to let you guys know how the next couple of weeks will look, and then I'll pray and close this, but next week, Ryan Shaw from Summit, our support sending church, will be preaching for us next Sunday. Um, great, great brother in Christ. Um, Mike knows him very well. Those who are from Summit know him very well. He'll be preaching for us next week. And then the week following, Devin will be preaching um, I wanted to give, I like to give people an opportunity to, to stretch their, their proverbial wings, if you will, um, if they like to practice preaching. So he wanted an opportunity to do that. Um, and then three weeks from now, I'm going to be tackling the book of Mark. So hold on for that. That will be, if it took us 30, 30 chapters or 30 sermons to get through six chapters, it'll take us a little bit longer for 16. So just buckle up for that, okay? Um, thank you guys so much for. Uh, uh, your attention with the highlights. That was a new sermon process that I hadn't ever tried before, and I think it was successful to bring us back to those, those points of Ephesians that we should look at. So if you would pray with me that the Lord would carry those, those thoughts through our minds and hearts as we move forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity again to look at your word, to look at this letter, to, to see both the good word that you would have for us, the good saying that you would have us to take away from this letter here at the end, and then to look back um, with absolute awe at the things that we've been able to learn and see that you've given us from Paul's writings that still impact us today all throughout this letter. We love you and praise you, and we thank you for the opportunity to be your children, to glorify you, because it truly is a privilege to even be gathered here together and claim your name. Help us to live our lives this week in a way that would glorify you. In your holy name I pray. Amen.